Hi, everyone. This is Sambal Siddiqui, Mayor of Cambridge. And I'm Alana Mellon, Vice Mayor. And this is our podcast, Women Are Here. Hello. Hey, we're we're here. It's uh, Friday and the, the weather is horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, although this morning, I think I was expecting that from the weather forecast, I thought there would just be like knives of ice coming from the sky repeatedly. Um, but it just seems to be sort of like sleety, sleety, mostly rain. Yeah, I thought it was going to be worse. Um, but there were reasons school was canceled. A lot of school districts canceled. Well, I have to imagine that most of our teachers come from districts right. outside of Cambridge, which from the reports I've seen, like the, the roads are terrible. Um, and getting here this morning might have been really treacherous. So I'm assuming that played a part in it. Yeah, and the governor actually had said, you know, all non-essential workers asked them to stay home. Um, you know, they said they were not going to be able to treat the roads last night because of the temperatures and I don't know. So it happened. It's definitely, you know, I hate calling snow, you know, schools off. I, I mean, I it was the superintendent who has ultimate say, but um, it's, it's going to be going into July. <laughs> school year at this point so I mean we can't though right like because of the way that the collective bargaining would have to happen to go into July we'll have to we'll have to figure that out it's probably not gonna go into July but like really close so it's like it's already written that it's like we get five days and so we're at like number four at this point yeah I mean we were of course like I this is the first year in two years that I've like been signing my daughter up for summer camp and it starts literally that last week in June. So if, um, if it does go all the way into that, like she's going to miss the whole last week of school. Yeah. Oh, keep me posted everyone (laughs) on that. Uh, So you're reading a book. I, yeah. So I, I promised last week in the podcast that I would start reading that Michael Tubbs book and um, the deeper the roots. So Michael, uh, Tubbs is the former mayor of Stockton, who you and I have worked with uh, a lot, especially around Cambridge Rise. Um, he's, you know, started the first guaranteed basic income pilot in Stockton, California, um, and then, you know, as mayor, and then lost his bid for for mayor, and then started the Mayors for Guaranteed Income. So it's really um, sort of about Stockton and about his life, and um, you know, it's really interesting to hear because I feel like you know, we've talked to him a number of times, but just hearing about how, you know, his, his, his mom was 17 um, when she got pregnant with him and they're from a really Catholic, you know, really church-based family and, um, you know, how that really cemented who he was as a person and um, the way in which he thinks about vulnerable people and vulnerable families and like how to get people out of poverty. So um, I'm really enjoying it. I would have to recommend it to anybody. You, You said you read the whole thing, right? Yeah, and you gave me the book, <laughs> and then I got two copies, and I gave it one copy back to you. Uh, it was, it's a really good book. It's yeah, like talking to him. I like, I like the way that he writes. It's yeah. Very conversational and not like, I don't know, I'm really enjoying it. It's going really fast because I feel like we're just having, I feel like he and I are friends now, and <laughs> he's, he has no idea really who I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's great. Um, I'm, I'm I'm reading a book I bought a while ago. It's um, read lead from the outside, and mm-hmm. it's with Stacey Abrams. Oh, I love her. Yeah, and 
it's it's very it's really good i mean it's more like good advice just like life advice too that i'm getting from her you Can know you use some life advice from stacy abrams yeah yeah so I'll, give really. you this. <laughs> so I'll give you this after but um i'm happy she's running for governor uh I know. yeah but if she's so, governor will she not be able to write any more thrillers because that's really what i want to know <laughs> that book was so I good know. The, the ones I got you? No, the thriller that she wrote about the story. Oh, the thriller. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't read that. She did, she's written a lot of romance novels. Those are the ones I got you, yeah. And it was, so I guess the thriller is like her most recent one. And I, I was like looking forward to more. So, um, you know, I, I of course want her to be governor uh, of Georgia, but in case she mm-hmm. isn't, I'm gonna put a plug in for um, another thriller. I don't know what I just, yeah, so um yeah so we 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 made well you know we made our promises so let's see what we can promise to do okay well moving on to uh COVID-19 updates we've got for the Cambridge case trends for the week ending Saturday January 29th there were 626 new confirmed Cambridge cases which translates to a 70 average of 75.2 confirmed cases per 100,000 residents that infection rate represents a 75% drop from the January 8th peak. So we know those cases are declining, but infection rates still remain high in Cambridge and across the state. So we're, our, you know, our, our public health department is still urging residents to take precautions to slow the community spread of the virus. Um, and then those hospitalization rates during the week of January 31st to February 5th, those hospitalization, hospitalizations continued to decline, but remained high. And Massachusetts healthcare systems continue to operate at near capacity. In the uh, Metro West region, which includes Cambridge, 89% of non-ICU beds were occupied and 86% of ICU beds were occupied as of Thursday, February 3rd, which was yesterday. So keep those masks on. Um, yes. Keep doing those rapid tests. Uh, keep, keep yourself safe. And as far as test positivity from January 16th to the 29th, the most recent available data, uh, the test positivity rate was 3.2% out of 74,522 tests of Cambridge residents. The state's positivity percentage during this period was 10.1%. Cambridge had the second highest rate of testing in the Commonwealth for this two-week period. Uh, and from January 1st to the 30th, um, 17,779 tests were administered at the city-operated testing sites for an average of 1,046 tests per testing session in January to date. In addition, approximately 1,600 tests were administered at the CIC health testing site in Kendall Square from January 27th to February 3rd. And as of Thursday, uh, yesterday, the testing site at the Cambridge site is now located in the parking garage on level G3 and is walk-up only, not drive-through. So level G3 is accessible by the Cambridge side elevator and escalators and residents can park in the garage and then proceed to level G3 and parking will be validated. The parking garage entrance is located on the Cambridge side place and Monday and Thursday testing hours remain the same. And then beginning Saturday, February 12th and continuing on Saturday, February 19th, 26th and March 5th, the city will offer Saturday testing on these four dates at the Christian Life Center. Uh, which is owned and operated by St. Paul um, AME Church, located at 85 Bishop Allen Drive. Testing on these Saturday dates will be from 11 and 3, 
and this is one of the testing set testing sites we've had in the past. And I think you and I both frequented it. That was my favorite one because I could just walk from my house. Right, right. So I'm glad to see those are back. And Saturdays was like my day to go. Right. Um, and then in terms of vaccination clinics, the city of Cambridge were continuing to hold uh, vaccine and booster clinics on Mondays and Thursdays at Cambridge side. And the clinics offer both vaccine or uh, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines and boosters. And the Cambridge Public Health Department is hosting a COVID-19 vaccine clinic for people age five and older who live or work in Cambridge on Wednesday, February 16th from three to 6 p.m. at Reservoir Church uh, at 170 Ringe Avenue. The clinic will offer first, second, and booster doses of the Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson vaccines. Medical staff will be available to speak with anyone who has vaccine questions or concerns or hesitancy. Appointments can be made online, but walk-ins are always welcome. And then as far as rapid tests and KF94 masks, the city is making 10,000 COVID-19 rapid at-home tests and 20,000 high-quality KF94 masks available for the public to pick up at the main library, city hall, and multiple fire stations across the city during select dates and times while supplies last. Those in need of tests and or high-quality masks can pick them up at the following locations, which are on Saturday, February 5th, 9 to 5 at the main library at 449 Broadway, and then on Monday, February 7th through February um, February 11th, uh, 8 to 8.30 to 5 at City Hall, uh, 7 to 7 at Lafayette Square Firehouse located at 378 Mass Ave, 7 to 7 at the East Cambridge Firehouse located at 175 Cambridge Street, 7 to 7 p.m. at the Taylor Square Firehouse located at 113 Garden Street, and then also the same 7 to 7 at the Quarter Square Firehouse, 77 at the Inman Square Firehouse. Uh, and pickup may be available and available in both of the locations in the fire stations for short periods of times if crews are out on a call. Uh, and my office was able to, is also part of the group that got, um, uh, you know, some boxes and we've been, we had been contacted by some nonprofits and some um, folks that were, didn't get them the first round. And so yesterday we spent kind of deviating, deviating, divvying some of those out, but for folks can also contact my office if they need some supplies. And speaking of rapid tests, I did as a Cambridge Public School parent get a, a notice that we will be getting uh, rapid tests to take the Sunday night before school resumes after February vacation. Um, the one question I had was, is there a reason why the guidance was to take it on Sunday versus Monday morning before going to school because I follow Michael Mina on uh, Twitter. He seems to be everywhere always about rapid tests and his um, guidance has always been that the, the earlier to the event or the closer to the event is when you're supposed to take the test. So I was just curious why the guidance was Sunday versus like Monday when your kid wakes up, rapid test them um, to see if they're not positive. You know, that's a good question and I'm not sure. So I'll have to get back to you on that. Yeah, I mean, it didn't even specify Sunday night. It was like Sunday. So I was just curious, but I know a couple um, of my parent friends have asked me about that as well. So yeah, if you um, if you get any response back that on that from our public health team, or maybe I'll ask that Monday night and see what they say. Cause I know Dr. Dobertine um, is usually on the call. 
Yeah, yeah. I think maybe I'll just ask Monday night. <laughs> explained it. I think she, I can't remember on Tuesday if that came up, but I I'll go back to my notes and and check. Okay, and then also speaking of the schools, it's um, Dr. Greer was voted um, forward by the school committee to get a, a one year contract extension. Yeah, we on Wednesday night, we had actually originally planned to have this meeting in December and then, you know, for reasons we just to, I think we were gonna, we were told that we'd potentially have to re-vote because of the new committee. Um, so we just decided to do it in the new year and it just took a while, but we're extending, there was an option in her original contract to extend the appointment. Um, and so we're, we're, we're doing that for an additional year and then we're changing just her title um, and taking the interim out. Uh, and then by June 30th, 2022, either she she has to give notice or we have to give notice about potentially extending her contract further or not. So um, I, you know, I'm glad that we were able to extend the, you know, the uh, the contract. It was based on an evaluation the school committee did. Um, three-month evaluation the school committee had done in a public meeting um, and, you know, also her desire to continue uh, to some, provide some stability during this time. Got it. Okay. I did see that, that there was like some notices. I'm just, the Cambridge Public School as a parent, there's always so many <laughs> things coming at you, but I just wanted to highlight that here on the podcast today. Um, we had a council meeting on Monday night. There was um, mostly, I would say the entire meeting for me felt like it was public comment about the golf course and then discussion about the golf course. I don't know if it felt that way for you <laughs> as well. Um, but we did talk about this last week on our podcast that there was um, a policy order put forward by Councillor Nolan, Councillor Zondervan, Councillor Carlone, and Councillor Azim asking the city to, um, you know, think about ways we could use the golf course um, and what legal, uh, you know, what the legal terms we would need to, to do that. And then asking for some data uh, around who uses the golf course, et cetera. The policy order was charter written by um, Councillor Toner to allow for more conversation and discussion with the community and with the motion makers. So we reconvened Monday night. And um, again, there was about 60, uh, public commenters speaking mostly in favor of keeping the golf course exactly as is. Um, one of the things in the original policy order was, you know, could we look at making the nine hole golf course to a six hole golf course? Um, so Councillor Toner, Councillor McGovern and Councillor Simmons put forward a, a substitute order saying that, um, you know, the neighborhood long-term planning and the arts <laughs> committee would have uh, a meeting just to talk about uses for the golf course that would be additive, you know, so not interfering with the current golf course operations of it being a nine hole golf course. And I think Councillor Toner uh, mentioned, and maybe some others were talking about, uh, you know, it, there used to be a um, skating pond uh, on the golf course. There used to be a stand selling hot cocoa. You know, there, there might be other wintertime outside opportunities for us to be thinking about for that space that largely um, goes unoccupied during the winter months. Um, there was a lot of talk about cross-country skiing and um, I, I think a lot of people do that anyways, but there could be ways for us to think about uh, making it more, uh, you know, something that people do that's, um, like Weston has a, a, a ski track a cross-country ski, ski track that my husband has discovered over the case, 
the course of the pandemic, um, you know, as it's just, it's so hard to get exercise and be outside in the wintertime. And it would be nice to do that right here in Cambridge rather than going to Weston. So that um, seemed to satisfy the members of the council. Um, it seemed to satisfy the members of the community who were concerned that, you know, when they read the order and it said, you know, we're gonna, you know, the, the, council, the city council and, and city has goals around affordable housing and um, a DPW yard that I think there was concerns in the community that suddenly that there would be an option on the table uh, for those things to uh, be on the golf course. So that um, that policy order passed. And so we will be looking forward to having a neighborhood and long-term planning committee hearing on that. Um, and then it asked for some data from the city to come forward um, that would help guide that conversation. So that was one of the things that we talked about. Another one for me was a response to an order that I had put in last term um, asking the public information office and the city manager to post um, anytime there's a collision between a car and a pedestrian or a car and a cyclist. We, we get these emails from the public information office every time that there is a collision between uh, a car and a pedestrian and a bicycle, um, and, but those are largely unseen by the community. And so I think a lot of people, residents in the community don't actually understand how often those collisions are happening because you hear about fatalities certainly, but you know, we see these in our email all the time. And we had asked, you know, is there a way once you're sending those emails, could you just tweet about it? Could you just, you know, post on social media? Certainly like the police department, every time there's a like a suspicious package somewhere, you know, there's a tweet about it. So there was a um there was a report back from the police department and the public information office saying that they were going to create an open data portal for this type of information to come out. And that's really not the, it wasn't the spirit or the intent of the policy order, which was to make those crashes more visible um, as they're happening to the wider Cambridge community. So we ended up sending that back to the city manager and back to the public information office to um, have them come back with a, a more real time publicly accessible way for us to understand how many crashes are happening in the city. So that was, um, those for me were like big highlights from the city council meeting on Monday night. Yeah, I feel like I was kind of blackout because my kidney stone situation was really bothering me. <laughs> Sorry to so laugh. I was just like, <laughs> it's okay. I was just like, oh my gosh, please. It was like please two hours. <laughs> what? Please let this meeting end. I yeah, that was basically me. Um, but this Monday night meeting, it looks jammed and packed, um, jam-packed. <laughs> There's a policy order on parking minimums asking CDD to develop language to remove parking minimums for residential and commercial development. There's an order around curb cuts. The order states that over 100 curb cut applications have been filed in the past five years and but all of them have been approved. And this order by Councillor Azeem is asking the law department to see if we can delegate the authority to inspectional services, provided that the proposed curb cut conforms to the dimensional requirements of section 6.43.3 uh, and has the approval of the city of Cambridge inspectional services department. There's also language around that Councilor Nolan and Councilor Carlone submitted to incentivize fossil free building construction fossil coming. Free, sorry. Yeah, fossil. What did I say? Incentivize fossil free. Fossil free. Fossil uh, free. 
fossil fuel free um, building construction coming from the climate crisis working group that I had appointed her as chair um, of. And uh, we had asked uh, for this language from CDD by February 1st, which has passed. So they had submitted their own language, which would go to the ordinance committee. Yeah, and one of the other things that's on the agenda on Monday night is something that Councillor Zondervan, Councillor McGovern, Carlo, and myself submitted asking the city manager to look at ways where we can provide uh, regular funding to residents who are unhoused or risk of eviction with ARPA dollars. Now that the law department has advised that the American Rescue Plan Act funding that we've received from um, the federal and state government uh, it's around 88 million, both of those buckets that does not fall under the anti-aid amendment. Um, this recommendation came directly from the report that Councilor McGovern had on the agenda last on Monday night around their, his homelessness task force. I'm not sure that's the right. The working group, which I had appointed last term. Yeah. Right. It was a recommendation from them, you know, similar to the guaranteed basic income pilot. Is there a way we, we can provide uh, out of ARPA dollars direct cash assistance to um, residents who are currently unhoused or at risk of being unhoused um, because of an eviction notice. So um, I'm sure that there have been some um, proposals that have come through the portal uh, that was set up by the city to, to get those proposals from either, you know, nonprofits or community members to try to figure out how to spend these ARPA dollars. And then it's asking for a report back to the city council to talk about whether or not or some some ideas on on how we could do that. So that's something um, that's on for Monday night as well. I look forward to that conversation. Um, this week has been such a busy week, uh, especially in city manager search land. Um, <laughs> I my head is really spinning. Every day is so crazy and so long. We're doing so many things, but the website to gather feedback and information on the city manager. Uh, process, search process and who we want to see as uh, the next city manager of Cambridge is up and running. It's uh, cambridgecitymanagersearch.com and you click on the feedback page. You can answer questions. You can actually um, like other people's comments. You can, you know, interact with other residents uh, and stakeholders on, you know, what they're saying uh, if you agree with them and um, or don't agree with them. It's, it's sort of, it's a really interesting way to do uh, public community engagement. It's very um, transparent, open, inclusive. Uh, I think in the past we have done just a, you know, a, a blind survey that goes out to residents and then the only people that see it are the, um, the executive search team that is putting together that leadership profile that will, it's basically the job description, like, hey, this is what the city of Cambridge is looking for. Are you that person? Uh, so at the end of the month, um, you know, we'll take all of that information and, and compile it and put together a report that will help inform that leadership profile. So that's up and running and live. Um, we have posters that are going up around the city um, telling people how to get involved both with that, that feedback, that website I just mentioned, but also we have a, a government operations resident town hall meeting that is happening uh, Wednesday, February 16th from six to eight. And that is an opportunity for Cambridge residents to either come in person or on Zoom and uh, talk about what they want in the next city manager or ask questions about the process. Myself, the government operations committee and uh, Randy Frank, our executive search consultant will be there um, to, to um, you know, answer those questions and hear those comments. So um, there's that. 
you will start seeing those signs everywhere. Um, they're at the library, they're at City Hall, they're um, at all of our city buildings. And then uh, next week we will be flyering, uh, you know, barbershops and hair salons and restaurants and um, store locations. I went yesterday to the multi-service center, the Cambridge Learning Center, the uh, Cambridge Housing Authority and dropped off these postcards that people can um, see where they can engage in the process. So we're really trying to get all the information out to people. Um, I know your office has been helping coordinating getting the information out. If you are part of a neighborhood community group, please um, contact me. I'd love to um, have you post on your neighborhood group. I'm not on any neighborhood group, so I can't post anything, but um, it would be really helpful to have people uh, be posting. We really want to get this information out in front of as many Cambridge residents as possible, just so we hear from you know, a wide swath of the Cambridge community on, on what they want as a city manager. I think one of the other things we talked about when we're setting up this website was so many people don't even know that we have a city manager or if they vaguely know that we have a city manager, they don't understand the relationship between the city manager and the council and the mayor and the employees. So we really try to make it clear. Um, I put together like a bunch of infographics and, um, and graphics just to kind of try to explain the relationship and our budget and where the money goes and you know what Cambridge has in the past said is the most important things uh, to them that the city and the city manager focus on. So I know your 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 office has been dealing with the focus groups at Portico, and I think you said those are going well. Yeah. So the another part of the search is the. Uh, you know, about 20 focus groups through Cortico, really focused on having six to eight small group discussions with a variety of stakeholders. Um, so this last week, um, uh, you know, we have had some with um, nonprofit leaders, uh, some with, you know, um, uh, high school students, um, senior representatives, um, affordable housing, um, developers. Uh, and so, yeah, my office has been, we've, we have a whole chart where we've been um, working with you closely on, on making sure we get folks registered for those focus groups. Um, but they've been growing really well. Yeah. It, you know, Adrian from my office has been um, facilitating and so has Naomi from our city council office. And we'll have, we have a ton next week. So it feels good after one is done because it's like, it's a, it's like, you know, they're, they take so long to just plan and make, you know, we want people to participate, but um, yeah, it, it feels good that we're doing these and I'm excited to get the feedback from those and, you know, work with you on making sure that feedback is out to the community. Yeah. I mean, Corico has such an interesting platform and I think it's going to be so amazing to share what people are saying through that platform. Um, I think, you know, in the past, we've done focus groups where it's, you know, people come, they say their thing, and then they leave. It's not this back and forth conversation. You know, I've talked to a couple of people who have been in their respective focus groups, and people are saying, you know, there was a really rich conversation. There was a lot of common themes, even though we, you know, maybe do different things in the city, or, you know, we are part of this cohort, but we have different experiences or bring different lenses. Um, I think that's, we really had to do community engagement in a different way because of COVID, but it is a really, it's fascinating to me to be seeing how rich the conversations are versus like, you know, you, you 
go to a, a focus group and you know you may be able to say one thing or um, you you have your three minutes or you're asked your one question, but you're not like it's not a real conversation. Um, so yeah, I think I'm I'm really I have my training on Tuesday on how to you know pull pieces of information out of those focus groups um, and make them public and available and and sort it so that um, it's you don't have to listen to the whole. 90 minutes, but you can kind of see the themes that are coming up in each of the, the targeted focus groups. So thanks for, thanks for handling that out of your office. This has been a tremendous lift, but I think um, it's going really well so far. And I just hope, I hope people um, are able to kind of find the way that they can to plug in and, and participate. Right, right. And one thing um, I'll mention that wasn't mentioned on what's on the agenda for Monday is a communication from my office around the formation of a working group um, to discuss the details of a fare-free bus pilot um, and appointing Councillor Burhan Azim as chair. This is something you and I have talked about and I talked about last term and you mentioned last week around the letter that we had sent. Um, and really the goal of the working group is to work with CDD to organize a series of meetings to inform the city strategy regarding a fare-free bus pilot, uh, you know, looking at what um, what uh, you know the implementation would entail, and you know, getting ridership data and figuring out which lines we'd use, just really preparing ourselves. Um, hopefully, in the event that we can do a fare-free bus pilot. Yeah, and I'm glad that somebody's going to be taking this on and, and having regular meetings about it. I'm glad that Councillor Azim is being named the person to do that as head of the transportation uh, committee. It is it is something that needs, you know, now that we've written the letter and now that we've got these other cohorts in different communities, you know, just really moving that ball forward and figuring out the funding piece, right? Like if it can't be ARPA dollars because people to judge says it can't be ARPA dollars, then like where where is it coming from and how do we right. the MBTA to do that? So that's exciting. Um, and then speaking of exciting, everyone's favorite, uh, the annual, the fifth annual Warm Hearts for Warm Feet Sock Drive is underway. It started on um, Monday, Tuesday, February 1st. Uh, I don't even know what day it is anymore. But anyway, <laughs> it started on Tuesday, February 1st. Um, we are in the process of trying to collect, did you say 5,000 pairs? Yeah. 5,000 pairs of uh, new wool socks to help our unhoused neighbors. This is in partnership in conjunction with Caspar and Baco, who um, run the, the warming shelter, the uh, 240 Albany Street, and also the, um, the, I forget what it's called, the one on Cambridge Street. Why is it escaping me? At the hospital? The, what are you talking about? The one that's at the hospital. Where we converted the Spalding. Spalding. Yes, but it has a name. <laughs> anyways, my brain is broken. But anyways, um, so yeah, it's with Caspar and Baycove. And you know, every year we we try to collect as many socks as possible. The Cambridge community comes out and is amazing. Um, the other the other piece of it that's amazing is how many small local retailers have stepped up um, and our locations where people can. To, can purchase socks and some of them are actually even offering discounts. Um, so if you would love to get involved in this uh, sock drive and we hope that you will, um, please this weekend, you can go to Hilton's 10th city in Central Square. They are providing 20% off on all wool socks and they are a drop off location. Cambridge Naturals in the Porter Square Shopping Center 
if you drop off um, socks there or if you buy them there, they are offering 10% off on your whole next purchase at Cambridge Naturals. Uh, Gather here in Inman Square has uh, some really great socks. Uh, David's on first, Teddy's shoes uh, in, in Central Square, the Andover shop in Harvard Square, they all have socks. Oh, and um, Cambridge Clogs, which is just sort of outside uh, Porter Square on Mass Ave. So those are some great locations that you can go and shop local, support our local businesses, and really also support our local unhoused residents uh, as they need uh, wool socks this winter. So the drive is going through Valentine's Day, which is next Monday. So you have a little bit of time, um, but if you are not able to get out and about um, to our local shops, we do also have an Amazon wish list, which I've tweeted. Um, I think some you've also tweeted, we can cert certainly continue to do so, um, but it's really easy to do it that way, especially if you wanna buy, you know, a hundred pairs of socks or 500 pairs of socks, you should definitely do it on Amazon. But <laughs> Uh, we would love to have you participate. It's such a great event every year and it's, it really does help highlight um, our unhoused population, uh, particularly in a time where like today, I mean, it's absolutely dreadful outside and to be outside and have cold feet and wet feet um, can really lead to some very medically unsafe situations and scenarios for our unhoused populations and wool socks dry fast. And um, that's really what we're trying to do here. And uh, I hope you participate. Definitely, please do. Uh, we also wanted to give information about our affordable homeownership lottery for first-time homebuyers. We're accepting applications for affordable condominiums at Inman Crossing, located at 305 Webster Avenue and St. James Place, located at 7 Beach Street. And there's one, two, and three bedroom units being offered to households earning less than 80% of the area median income. Applicants can apply for one or both properties by completing a single online application. Units will be filled through a lottery process. The CDD will hold a virtual information session on Tuesday, February 15th at 6 p.m. The deadline to apply is Friday, March 4th, 2022 at noon. Uh, and you can learn more about this uh, at www.cambridgema.gov slash homebuyerlottery. That's awesome. I sent that out to a bunch of people yesterday. Um, I wish we had more opportunities like this, but um, yeah. if you know anyone who is um, currently in a rental opportunity, they're in a rental unit, they're, they're looking to, to own that home, this is a great opportunity to send that all on to them. Um, and just as a reminder, applications for the 2022 City of Cambridge Scholarship are currently being accepted through March 7th. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the annual scholarship fund, which provides financial assistance to college-bound high school seniors and other Cambridge residents who wish to pursue a post-secondary education. Applicants can submit their application completely online at cambridgema.gov slash city scholarship. In last year, the city of Cambridge awarded 80 scholarships of $3,000 each for a total of $240,000. Um, you know, $3,000 can cover your books for an entire year, right? Like it's, it's not nothing, people. So if you've got a high school senior, make sure and, and have them complete that uh, online application uh, by the deadline. Well, that's it from us. Wrap it up. Stay safe uh, out there in this bananas weather. Stay safe. Hope you have a great weekend. If you have any suggestions or want to give us any ideas for anything, you can tweet at us at Mayor Siddiqui and at AM 
M-A-L-L-O-N. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to shop local for those wool socks this weekend. Fill out the city manager feedback form online. Um, participate in all the ways, but uh, mostly stay safe, stay warm. And we will see you next week. Take care. Bye.